construct a series of breathing apparatus with kelp. We'll be able to trap certain amounts of oxygen. It's not going to be days at a time, an hour, hour 45, no problem. That will give us enough time to figure out where you live, go back to the sea, get some more oxygen and stalk you. You just lost at your own game. You're outgunned and outmanned. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Buenos dias amigos and welcome along to this episode <laughs> of Have You Seen This? I hope we've caught you all in good spirits and fine fettle. Joining me, as always, the pussy galore and Dr. Goodhead of the podcasting <laughs> universe, Green Full of Asher and Mercer on the dance floor. You better not spoil the groove. How are you, chaps? Very good, very good. How is everybody doing? We all okay? I love Dr. Goodhead always makes me think of that Roger Moore Rye, a woman. That was my best Roger Moore fashion there. Yeah, how's everyone doing? All good? Very good. Thank you. And we've got another incredible guest, probably wondering right now what the fudge he's got himself into. It's Hollywood VFX artist Connor O'Mara. Connor, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how you doing? Small correction, none of the VFX is done in Hollywood, so... <laughs> but it's done for Hollywood, isn't it? Isn't that like, you know, Hollywood is a state of mind, it's not an actual location. Partially correct, although I imagine we're looking towards Beijing as much these days as well. <laughs> okay. Oh, my life is a lie. Anyway, <laughs> So, everyone's here. We ended with a question. We're going to start this podcast with the same question. And I want to know if you know what the first film shot or produced in colour was to win the Best Picture Gong at the Oscars. Two shouts out here, one going to Tristian Cooper and one going to Aidan McCaffrey, who both shot in guesses. But before we say if they're right or wrong, what do you guys think? I think I knew this, but I could be wrong. Gone with the wind? My two guesses were going to be Sound of Music or maybe Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That was my other thought, but I'm going to go with Gone with the Wind for me. My guess, and uh, purely because this is probably based on an uh, urban myth, was The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Wizard of Oz was one of Tristian Cooper's guesses. He quickly changed it to Gone with the Wind from the 12th Academy Awards in 1939, which is the correct answer. Uh, so I'm gonna, okay. I'll give you guys half a point, because one of you is right, <laughs> one of you is wrong. So you get half there. All right. Uh, great to, yeah, Gone with the Wind, 12th Academy Awards, 1939, the first colour film to win Best Picture Oscar. So well done, Breen. Googled it, probably. And I'm like, no, close, but no cigar. Let's get this in early. Fuck you, Hammond. <laughs> oh, my mum asked us to not to swear so much on this podcast. So if we could try and just keep the effing and jeffings to an absolute minimum, that would be great. Nah, Breen. Sorry, Mrs. Mercer. <laughs> just quickly, before we move on to the next section, just a quick shout out for the competition we launched last episode. People should get excited because the prizes just got a little bit better. Two of the Blu-rays have now been upgraded to 4Ks. And we've also got an addition to the prize fund. Hammond, what have we got? We have almost hot off the press. They're going to land in a couple of weeks. Official Have You Seen This podcast branded t-shirts. Great. Fantastic. More details on the competition and how to enter are later on in the pod. But yeah, just get your entries in because at the moment you have a one in three chance of winning that prize. Brilliant. Super. Moving on then to our regular show starter then, which is our big picks from the small screen. It's a highlight of two or three things we've watched or streamed outside of the two films in review. And we like to start with our guest. So Connor, what's been keeping you entertained? I've actually got back in time a bit and I was watching the Cowboy Bebop 
TV series and the movie. And that's basically it because I've been getting slammed making new stuff. Nice. Worst problems to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm a big fan of kind of anime, specifically uh, Chanbara anime. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's about it. And other than that, yeah, I'm just watching frame by frame stuff that I can't really talk about yet. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So this week, just picked three highlights. I watched the whole series of this Korean TV show on Netflix called The Uncanny Counters. It's about this disparate group of individuals who work at a noodle shop by day, but by night they hunt evil spirits and demons. Korean TV shows over the last few years have really stepped up the game. There's some fantastic stuff out there, and uh, it's just one that was coming out week by week, so it's it's really, really new. It's great. I really, really recommend it. Some of the humour misses. Korean humour can sometimes sort of miss for Western audience. But overall, fantastic show. Really, really recommend it. Yeah, cool. Nice. I watched on BBC4, there was a programme called Score, Cinema's Greatest Soundtracks, and it made me want John Williams' babies even more. It's, <laughs> uh, but it goes through a, a lot of composers over the years. Really interesting insight into their process from concept through to delivery of, of the final score. Again, really recommend that. I'm sure it's on iPlayer. Nice. Finally got round to watching Host, which was the 56-minute horror film on the Shudder Network. Oh, I've heard about that. It's completely based within the confines of a Zoom screen. Nice. As a group of people get together to have a virtual seance and things go wrong and they release an evil spirit, which then begins to cause havoc through each of the little Zoom windows. And it puts a whole new perspective on us sitting looking at each other today and looking behind you to see if anything's coming through a door. <laughs> it's a genuinely good horror film. Probably not for you, Mercer. No. Properly scary uh, and 56 minute running time was perfect for it. Yeah. What they managed to do in terms of the visual effects was great considering everybody was isolated and the post-production on the work on that I think was really very, very good. So if you get an opportunity to check it out, it's on the Shudder Network and it's called Host. Was cool. it really scary? I hear it's really terrifying. That genuinely film. scary. The thing is it's like if you saw Paranormal Activity because there's no soundtrack the fact that there's no underlying score it's just the ambient noise of, of zoom. the background in the intermediate roofs of zoom that's amazing that, that silence just breeds suspense and mm. it worked in spades in this film so a genuinely scary movie awesome very cool so the three films I watched this week I followed Paul's suggestion and I watched Hashtag Alive the Korean zombie film <laughs> it was alright it was a bit of shit if I'm honest yeah, yeah it, it does a job yeah, that's what I said yeah. the female lead in it was great the guy in it couldn't care if he lived or died him yeah. and his stupid bleached hair should have fallen off the balcony got eaten by zombies <laughs> fairly early in the film yeah. um, how somebody so stupid survived for so long I will never know <laughs> but it's alright and then the film that made all of your lists last year was Uncut Gem I finally got around to Uncut Gems. I had absolutely no idea why it made everyone's lists last year until I hit the last 30 minutes and my jaw dropped and I was I was exhausted by the time I got to the end of this film truly exhausted super stressful to watch right really stressful the ending just blew me away unbelievable Adam Sandler after all these years has finally made something that's not complete shit so well done <laughs> sir the, the production company that make uh, Uncut Gems who is it again because they make a lot of good stuff it's A24 A24 yeah yeah they're really good what I can't work out after watching this film like nearly a year ago now I still can't work out whether I actually like Adam Sandler's character or not because he makes such bad choices but he's so charismatic in his self-belief that he's going to end on his feet yeah he's not even an anti-hero he's someone you you love to hate or hate to love it's he's somewhere in the middle yeah you root for him but then you're also you yeah know, you find it sort of abhorrent that he just keeps doing and doing going and going and going and the film ended the only way it could end because he was yeah. happy 
Yeah, and you watch him for two hours digging a deeper and deeper and deeper hole and never ever getting out with it. And you're just like, oh man, yeah, great roller coaster of a film. I can't, I don't think I can watch it again until my prescription for Prozac comes through and then we'll be really good. <laughs> and then finally, Mercer, I took my first foray into the world of Wes Anderson and I watched mm. The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, amazing. Nice. Yeah. All right. Only all right? It was all right. Then you, then you haven't got the bug because... <laughs> no, I don't think so. I need, I don't know. I love how it looks visually. Absolutely spectacular. Yeah, I think uh, Royal Tenenbaums did leave me very cold the first time I watched it because uh, Anderson is mm. quite clinical in the way that he does things, but there is a lot of emotion like stenched under the surface there. Like I think on repeat viewings, if you've got the stump for it, go back, rewatch it after maybe you've seen a, a couple of other films. I think maybe as an into Wes Anderson, that's not necessarily your gateway. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. There are other options that I think are a bit more... Palatable? Possibly, yeah, just a bit easier. easier in. I mean, don't get me wrong, Royal Tenenbaums, I think it's a superb movie. Like, you might as well mainline your first bit of Wes Anderson and if you don't like it, you're not gonna, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. I'm gonna see what else is available in the Wes Anderson universe this week and get another one or two. Budapest, mate. That's the one. So go back to the beginning. Rushmore. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that was it. Guys, there's one I did watch I'm gonna give a shout out to. It's probably about 10 years old now, but it's amazing. Kung Fury. Have you seen it? I think I've heard of it. That's amazing. It's like, basically, it's a Norwegian dude. And he just made his own movie, got like a lot of volunteers and stuff. I think it's maybe about 20 minutes, 30 minutes long, but it's one of the best movies I've watched in the past like five years. It's Is that the one, the hyper-stylized sort of special yeah. effects? Yeah, oh, yes, I have seen it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 actually quality. Like, it's, it's a send-up, but it's like, yeah. it's got Nazis in it. It's got dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. It's got Vikings. It's got dinosaur laser things. But actually, it's, pretty coherent wow that sounds mental i think i saw it on youtube yeah so you- yeah it's on youtube go watch it yeah. yeah there is a kung fury 2 with david hasselhoff I was looking who, for who, it. who plays the hoff 9000 just as a voice <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i was looking for it but uh i didn't get around to watching it yet but i'd, I'd watch anything that that guy makes yeah yeah nice. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead with michael fassbender what a pairing that is <laughs> anyway yeah, i've worked in movies which have worse visual effects that cost a lot more wow you know, yeah. nice so I watched Midnight Sky Netflix 2020 came out tail end of 2020 last year this is directed by George Clooney Clooney's directing career let's face it has been a bit patchy over the years like for every good night and good luck and confessions of a dangerous mind you have a monuments man or a leatherhead this entry into his opus is a bit of a mixed bag it's probably the most middling thing he's ever done Paul you were on the Movie News Pedanza podcast recently yeah. you were asked on that what your most medium film was this is his most medium film he has ever done <laughs> on one hand this dystopian science fiction looks fantastic like the winds of the frozen tundra whip around the abandoned outpost where Clooney's character finds himself they just look so crisp and like the portions of the film set in deep space with the earthbound space crew also look fantastic the CGI is is absolutely incredible however for a film that focuses on a race against time set at the end literally the end of the world it lacks an alarming sense of urgency conversations between characters just feel tenuous and unconvincing there's an entire backstory subplot that just feels trite and unimportant like Felicity Jones and her team of endangered astronauts are also the most agreeable space crew I've seen since maybe Star Trek The Next Generation. There is not an ounce of conflict on this spaceship, which makes their sequences, their conversations 
so, so dull. Like in space, no one will hear these guys scream over whose turn it is to do the dishes. Like it's very mediocre. And honestly, you'd be better off with something like Geostorm. <laughs> In the run-up to sort of June coming out later this year, and the fact that I can't pronounce this director's surname, I decided to rewatch <laughs> Sicario and Sicario 2 Day of the Sodaro. So that's uh, Denis Villeneuve in 2015, and then Dari Wolski in 2018. Yeah, nailed it. I believe the S is silent in the first name. Oh, really? Is <laughs> Denis. Denis, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, <laughs> nearly. I'm getting better, guys, though. I'm getting there, right? Yeah. The first film is undoubtedly a modern masterpiece that holds up to repeat viewings for a wealth of reasons, but at its core is the intelligent way the script's put together. There there is not a wasted syllable on that page. It's very trusting of its audience. That prisoner set piece near the beginning of the film it just expertly cranks up the tension. Villeneuve is so almost clinical in the precision in which he places his pieces, allowing the viewer to know what's at stake and where the dangers lie. But simultaneously, he's continuously contextualizing the action with these shots of witnessing the impact of the impoverished society that fuels the cartels themselves. It's like masterful stuff. I think if Christopher Nolan had done something like this, it would be at the sacrifice of some sort of emotional heart to the film. But Emily Blunt is just the the pounding heartbeat of this film. It's so, so, so good. I think the sequel is is fine. Wolski does an admirable job sort of aping the style that was set in the first film, but, you know, it doesn't have Villeneuve's confidence and eye for detail. And finally, I watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Das Cabinet des Dr. Caligari from 1920. Uh, this is on the BFI player. This is the black and white film by Robert Wayne. It's a silent film. Its plot may seem very basic by modern standards, but the stylized nature of the set, the jagged brushstrokes still in place. It just looks very stylized and it's it's excellent. The cast are just caked in makeup, which was the style at the time, but it gives them this very ghoulish feel. It's meant to be a horror. It is rated U, so I unsurprisingly got on with it quite well. Yeah, it's an essential piece of filmmaking history. If you've got the patience for a silent film, definitely do it. And it's it's very short. So yeah, have you guys seen it? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, you can see the, how it's influenced filmmakers that came later. You just look at Tim Burton's definitely a fan. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic watch. I would, I would suggest watching Nosferatu as well. Yeah, that's on the list as well. It's great yeah. just in lockdown having the time to kind of watch these sort of you know cinematic masterpieces that perhaps I just I would always sort of put off in in the past. So yeah, it's great. Mm. Cool, and that's me. Great, lots of fun stuff seen and recommendations for our audience. On to our next feature then, and it's over to Mercer for the box office refund. So the first image of Kristen, is that right, Hammond, if I said it right? Kristen? Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. First time. Apparently I keep saying Kirsten. I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry, you Kristen, do. if you're listening. And I know she is. I'm, I'm very sorry. The first image of Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana has been published. And you have to admit, Hammond, you were quite dubious about this casting. I think we all were, to be honest. You've got to admit, she does look pretty good. Have you seen this picture? So Kristen Stewart looking miserable staring out a window. But there's no difference. Put a hat on her. She looks like Diana. Amazing. <laughs> I, was blown, I was blown away by Kristen Stewart looking miserable in well, a week. <laughs> so unusual for her. I mean, I'm not really, I'm not particularly hyped for this film, but, you know, it is done by the same director as 2016's Jackie. And that film was pretty amazing. It will be difficult to follow up Emma Curran, who was in The Crown. I don't know if you guys saw The Crown, but her portrayal as uh, Dinah was really good. So, yeah. You're not really interested at all in this? No. You can make actors look like the people they're supposed to look at. It's just, it's the performance 
ones that will determine whether or not it's actually a good bit of casting. Mm. We've had the conversation about Kristen Stewart many times about her acting ability or lack of, and that's the test. Yeah, she can be good, but it's just, it's sort of quite sparringly, unfortunately. Right, so Cineworld is in talks to allow Universal Films to break the window. So Regal Cineworld Cinemas joins the club on release window deals. In a New York Times report, it's revealed that the chain is now in talks with Universal for a similar arrangement to the deal AMC has already struck with the studio. So that was a deal that AMC struck in July 2020, which allows Universal to release its content straight to VOD within three weeks of it being released in the cinemas. It's a pretty groundbreaking deal that was made last year at the height of the pandemic. At the time, Cineworld were very hot to criticise it, saying it was the wrong move at the wrong time. However, I think we need to sort of be realistic here. And when cinemas are allowed to reopen later in the year, these release windows will need to be looked at. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. As Hamish said on the pod a couple of episodes ago, it doesn't have to be one size fits all. You can have your indie films with the shorter windows and you can have your big blockbusters with the larger ones. So the cinemas can still make their ends meet out of the product before it gets released onto uh, streaming platforms. I agree. I think it's time to look forward and not look backwards. The the release window seems to have been a sticking point. I mean, I've been in cinemas now for 20 years and nothing with the release window has changed. And now's the yeah. time to do it and to bring the cinema industry kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Yeah. yeah, the cinema industry goes periodically goes through phases where something comes along that is the death of cinema. And it, whether it be television or you know, stream videos, uh, you know, VHS, etc., and then now streaming. But ultimately, it finds a way to survive. And I think it still comes back to this point we make about you know, humans are social by nature. Mm. And telling of stories to a group is something that's synonymous with humanity throughout the ages and that won't change whether it's be going to the theatre or going to the cinema those things are still going to survive it's just mm. the, the model has to change to move with the times and it will find a way to survive yeah I mean I could be making wild assumptions here but I'm assuming Connor when you do your job you're not thinking about the small screen like it depends really I've done small screen stuff like up until about three years ago I would have exclusively done feature for cinemas mm-hmm. with the exception of a little bit of TV stuff way back in the day for Framestore like Walking with Dinosaurs and stuff like that but most of it was just feature for big screen release now we're doing a lot of a lot of Amazon Prime Netflix some BBC the distinction is not really as much anymore before if you're doing Walking with Dinosaurs you were just banging out like fairly average you know visual effects and a lot of the technology we would use in it would have come from kind of been funded by the features we work on and then we would just use it for tv and for commercials so like the squirrels on charlie and the chocolate factory look surprisingly like the squirrels in some commercials you'll see now there's enough distance that there's no infringements or anything but the technology would have been kind of like at least practiced on other movies now we do a lot of yeah netflix amazon prime the four aspect ratios and all that are kind of cinematic but people are viewing it i guess at home and we're putting the standards for tv and for small screen is much better now right like you can you you can get really good visual effects you know and and like it's cheaper to make visual effects there's more people doing it and it's easier to do a good job so from our point of view the distinction isn't so huge Mm -hmm. i work in an industry first whose name i can't pronounce because it's irish people say film instead of film (laughs) i I say movies and every time i do it breaks my heart but i've always been a bit contemptuous like of the way movies are made 
and the way they're distributed. It's a bit of a cartel. In, in fact, it is a cartel. Anything that kind of breaks that up is good. And part of that is visual effects becoming cheaper, and part of that is the wages lowering, but I'm okay with that. I just feel it was, it was like, you know, most of the visual effects were in Soho, right? Up until about, you know, 10 years ago, if you threw a stone in Soho in London, you either hit a hooker or a visual effects artist. <laughs> and, uh, it's anything that changes that is good. I like going to the cinema. I hope they keep going. Awesome. Super, so it is now time to turn the spotlight officially onto our guest then. This week, Connor O'Mara, who you've already heard from. Connor is a VFX artist with over 15 years experience working for a variety of different companies on big screen projects as diverse as X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy, Jumanji, Doctor Who, and many more. He's currently working as a look dev lead or CineSight, a digital entertainment group who own Trickster and Image Engine, two world-leading visual arts companies currently operating in the industry today. Before we get to the list of questions, I just wonder if you can let our listeners and ourselves know what the look dev lead role is. The easiest way is always to make analogies of maybe theatrical production. Or, and if you can imagine your actor comes to perform in a theatrical production, except they look completely diffuse grey, like all of them. Imagine one of the blue man group turned up for like Shakespeare in the park and you were like, you're blue. This doesn't. <laughs> in our case, they turn up grey and uh, we've got to basically put materials on them so that when we give them to the lighters, and when they run light through the scene that it responds in like if it's skin it responds like skin if it's fabric it responds like fabric so that's probably the best analogy we're one department in quite a long pipeline so you know each department is quite important but the department before us would be texturing which is kind of like if you can imagine like picking the colors and then we put on the, like a little bit of the physics and a little bit of the shader materials to use our work and then we hand it off to the lighters who actually do what they sound like they move lights around only on computer like i've done a few jobs i used to be a lighter i used to do pipeline which is uh like kind of the programming side of it and now we do look dev lead which is technical but it's artistic as well been dying to ask you that question yeah, yeah. so what started your love of film I mean, do you remember the first film you saw and indeed the first cinema that you went to yeah yeah i do yeah like i grew up in ireland in the 1980s it is tiny town that i've been there like five thousand people we actually had a cinema here which was unusual et was the first movie i went to oh, nice, nice. Yeah, nice, I was, like stuff. I started off well. I, I've been to some dodgy ones since then, but you know. <laughs> so what got you into film? Was it watching ET? Or? Yeah, if you're if you're from the Irish countryside, you know, standing in fields only gets you so far. <laughs> so movies are a pretty good diversion from that. When when I was growing up, we had basically kind of one channel, RT one. And then, like, they came out with Network 2, which was, like, only on for half the day. And then everyone discovered what the buttons on the TV were for. <laughs> you know? And, like, it was like, if there was a movie on, you watched it. Like, it didn't matter what it was. You didn't have a choice. You know, it was like those Sunday afternoon movies. If it was those magnificent men in their flying machine, that was it. You were watching it. You were talking about it the next day in school. And part of it was contrariness as well. Like, you know, my parents were always telling me to go out and stand in the field, you know. Well, screw that. And the funny thing is, they used to always tell me to stop watching TV that I learned nothing from it <laughs> <laughs> on a regular basis 
I beat them with that stick, you know. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that was it, basically. Uh, we got BBC and actually as a community, we started pirating all the English TV stations. Our community got together and put a, an aerial up on the hills on the East Coast near us and we boosted the signal from Wales and we got BBC and S4C and Channel 4. Channel 4 was was amazing back in the day, like at night time. Yeah. It went through like a phase of um, anime Really good stuff, like really diverse. I remember it showed Castle in the Sky. And for years, pre-Google, I was like, man, I'd love to know what that movie was. People were like, which movie? I was like, you know the one with the the castle in the sky. (laughs) I was in a a DVD shop one day and I was literally thinking about it. And in front of me was like a bank of the castle in the sky. And I was like, I wonder what that movie was called as I like walked past it. And five minutes later, I came running back. That's it, you know? (laughs) But there's still a lot of movies from that period. And they were on at like three o'clock at night, you know? I still can't remember what they were called and I just can't find them anymore. And it's kind of heartbreaking. But So once you finished school, when you went to university I understand you studied engineering so how, how did you sort of segue from engineering into computer animation computer animation was a lot of it was started by electrical engineers right electrical engineers and um, guys who worked in the automation industry like there's a mathematical thing in computer animation called a spline how you tell a computer what a curve is and a spline is an abbreviation of a ship line which is a word from York. In the attics of the factories, they used to have these huge attics and they used to literally take a huge bit of paper and draw out the hulls of the ship and they would use like a long piece of wood to do that. And the wood was a natural spline, you know? And then the two guys in the automotive industry discovered how to do that on a computer. And once you could do that, cars started getting curves and computer animation started looking like it might become a possibility because up until then it was just cubes and triangles and stuff and then electrical engineers because the mathematics in uh, mobile phones and stuff basically getting rid of the noise that's the mathematics of rendering now most electrical engineers are very few of them do go on to become computer animation but i did three ski seasons and i needed to get a job so i did it and i always wanted to do animation i always wanted to do animation but i didn't know that computer animation existed so i did electrical engineering and then i found it i did a master's in bournemouth in england which is kind of one of the big places to do it and then i got a job in london it may not have affected at all obviously because i suppose you can work remotely but um, how has the pandemic affected you and your industry hugely we can't normally work remotely normally to get into a building that we work in is really security heavy when i started working at a frame store first in london I was very scruffy, like, and I kind of went out of my way to be scruffy, you know, kind of fulfilling the stereotype. But I used to constantly be stopped by security, asking <laughs> me to work there, you know. Uh, and you got to swipe in and you got to do all the security stuff. And you always have to watch these trading videos, like, which have questions like, should you show everyone everything or should you, you know, not? <laughs> and that changed with the lockdown because um, we work from home now. But that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. The other thing is we're really busy. We all are kind of busy, but um, we're busy now. And apparently we're essential workers. If you have children, you could probably agree with. But um, the thing, though, about remote working and stuff, we're still tied geographically to locations because... Our industry's got huge tax subsidies for having us in certain areas. Right, of course. Like we are, we are one of the most babysitted industries going. Like so, Quebec, where I'm actually, I work for a Montreal company. They're based in Quebec, and they get like I think the whole production get get up to forty percent of its money back. Wow, post production anyway. I managed to get a freelance contract once this 
whole thing hit, which they never give to anybody. So I can work from anywhere now. There's technical limitations, basically the latency, which is because the machine I work on is in Montreal. So I only use my machine to VPN into that machine. So it's for how long it takes a signal to bounce, you know, all that's kind of important. I think it will be interesting to see what the long-term repercussions are. Will uh, every, will the companies go back to behaving like they used to, like everyone in one building? Like it costs, I, I think I read it costs about $10,000 to provide a seat for us, just a seat, not the licenses every year. Wow. Connor, just really quickly, what is the difference between VFX and CGI or are they basically the same thing? Well, so the distinction is for your listeners, VFX is if you shot something on, if you shot anything real and that's in the movie, right? Yeah, it's considered VFX. So oh, okay. there'll be loads of CG, but if there's yeah. something real, it's considered VFX. And if it's pixar like where there's nothing real in it, it's all computer generated, it's considered feature animation. Oh, nice. In both of those examples, do you have sort of favorite as someone who works in that industry you look at examples and you think actually that is the best of those things i mean it's a very hard question to answer it's like who's your favorite child you know <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but um when we do vfx it's a little different to when we watch vfx because we do vfx frame by frame i, I don't really watch it through you know i mean maybe when i was a lighter i would watch it through a little bit but mostly it's frame by frame so i still have a little bit of a division i can still turn off to a certain extent when i'm watching a movie i mean like lots of the effects is terrible and especially if you watch older stuff there's some directors who are very good at using it like directors don't really still know how to use it well it's like a new toy and they use it very badly denny villeneuve <laughs> is good at using it in my opinion he doesn't overuse it arrival looked lovely blade runner 2 looked lovely shame it was such a not good movie you know <laughs> well i mean like storyline wise anything that degenerates into join the resistance is just like it's terrible story right <laughs> but he's really good at using it chris nolan is pretty good guy Ritchie is bloody good at using uh, vfx and just like really good at cinematography in general i don't think he gets quite a lot of credit for that because he makes kind of popcorn right in terms of feature, are <laughs> also Kung Fury. I gotta say it again. <laughs> it is great. My like problem with VFX and with feature is it, it's interesting. Like, it, I'm, and I'm not comparing us to to the Renaissance artists here. <laughs> However, if you look at what the Renaissance, where they came from, and, and what they did, there were a lot of them were engineers. They're real techie guys. Like a lot of them were mathematicians, architects, all that kind of stuff. And then if you look at what they did, was like they basically had very flat paintings. Then you had like. Like uh, Paulo Cello, the Battle of San Romano, where like you, you start getting perspective and they, they can use it. So they, he literally makes the ground like a chessboard, even though it's like supposed to be outside. It's just really showing off the fact that he can use perspective, you know. And then as it goes further on, you get more realistic. You get like the Dutch realists and all that kind of stuff. But the problems they solved are basically problems that VFX solved in the past 20 years. We could do anything, but we don't. There is basically two styles as far as kind of for 90% of movies there's the Marvel VFX type movie and then if you're doing feature it's kind of Pixar I watched Kung Fu Panda the other day and that was actually kind of cool because they I actually really had a film. lot of anime stuff in there you know like the way they yeah. the backgrounds kind of move against uh, you know the guy when he's jumping and all that that's kind of cool but also Sin City you know even though it's quite a cheap 
way of doing a movie it looks different 300 is the same you know it's not you know it's not like really groundbreaking stuff but it's stylized i like they take the risk and for bfx i've worked in a bunch of marvel movies so i won't bad mouth them but anything that doesn't look like a marvel movie is generally (laughs) (laughs) so the final question for you then and as we have discovered over the first nine episodes there are definitely wrong answers so we want to know about your guilty pleasure what is a film that you love that really, you know, you shouldn't. Well, again, it's no. I should love Kung Fury. That's fine. <laughs> well, a, a franchise that I really, really like, even though I know I shouldn't, is Fast and Furious. And, and like, <laughs> yes, correct. Like, it just does what it says it's going to do. Somebody did a plot and a graph of how fast and how furious it gets as a series, <laughs> and it does get faster, and apparently it does get more furious, <laughs> and that's fine. And it doesn't have like superheroes landing on one knee when they jump off a building. You know, it's got its own like little things going on, but you know, it's just easy and it's fine. It also there's like what is there nine of them, so it keeps us in work as well. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I know they're terrible movies. I know the storylines do nothing. It, and, it um, perfectly fulfills the brief of a guilty love pleasure. It. <laughs> love it. Before we move on to the next section, we wanted to announce the launch of the very first Have You Seen This competition. That's right. We want you to get the word out for our little pod and hopefully there's something in it for you as well. What we want you to do is head to Have You Seen This on Apple Podcasts. Just search Have You Seen This on your iPhone in the podcast app. Rate us five stars and give us a really quick, glowing, hopefully, review. It really doesn't have to be long. One sentence or even one word will do. Once you've done this, take a picture or screen grab to prove it and email it to us at seen this pod at gmail.com subject matter competition don't have an iphone don't worry you can do exactly the same on facebook that's right head to facebook.com forward slash seen this pod click on the review tab leave a five-star review screen grab that and email it into seen this pod at gmail.com and that's seen spelled s-c-e-n-e and why should people do this glad you asked we have on offer an exciting prize the have you seen this official top five films of 2020 on blu-ray up for grabs for one lucky winner that emails in the screenshot of their review so for those who aren't in the know that's 1917 and guy Ritchie's the gentleman on 4k blu-ray plus Jojo Rabbit, Parasite and Baby Teeth on regular Blu-ray all up for grabs. We will of course select one entry at random to win all five films on Blu-ray and for every runner-up we will send them an Have You Seen This badge? And the main prize winner will now get an exclusive Have You Seen This t-shirt as well. Get reviewing and send in your screen grabs and pictures to seenthispod at gmail.com now. The competition closes 2nd of March and we will announce the winner live on the 10th of March on episode 12 of the pod. When I say live I mean we'll record it, we'll dig names out of a hat then we'll announce it everyone will be happy we'll go home good luck guys and yeah get sending in good luck everybody I I was the first leading man in in the movie having starred in white chicks then this movie marked marked the beginning of motion pictures white chicks created a sensation brilliant moving on then to our in review section once again, a couple of belters picked by Breen. Pat yourself <laughs> on the back, sir. What have we got? So the first film was The Call on Netflix. It's a Korean film. Curious about anything else? What did you say the date was over there? Can you see what I'm like? Interesting. It really worked. You're shocked, aren't you? Do you know who she is? Young Sook. <laughs> Serial killer Oh Young Sook. So connected by a phone uh, in the same house, but 20 years apart, a serial killer puts another woman's past and life on the line. 
to change her own fate. Right. So the premise of this film is fantastic. If anyone's going to do this story justice, it's going to be safe in the hands in South Korea. The two female leads I thought were exceptional. I think John Seo Jun, who played Young Suk, was incredible. And what's more brilliant, this is only a second ever film. So I think she's got a massive, massive future. Wow, didn't know that. Her counterpart, So Yun, played by the far more experienced Park Shin Hai, who we saw in Hashtag Alive, was great. And I think these two were perfectly cast. However, <laughs> this film totally overpromised and underdelivered. It was a concept that I genuinely enjoyed and I bought into it fully, but it tried to be far too clever for its own good. And as it progressed, it just constantly tripped itself up with enormous plot holes that the film kept falling down. When you run parallel timelines with one directly affecting the other, you've got to be very careful. It felt at times that this just got really lazy and it focused more on the gore such as a house full of fridges to store chopped up bodies, rather than actually focusing on a tight plot. And it became really annoying. An interesting watch, but I just fear a rewatch as it's just going to throw up even more mistakes and it's just going to feel even more like a nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it, it destroyed its own logic, its own changing of timelines logic about halfway through and therefore it made a complete nonsense of everything else going forward. I thought in terms of the visual effects, those changes when those timelines did change initially, I thought they were actually quite well executed. Yeah, they're great. As you expect in, in Korean cinema, they tend to do that stuff very, very well. The first couple of changes in timeline that were really well executed, the reveal that she was in fact, a, again, this isn't a spoiler at all because it's in in any synopsis you, you read, that she's the serial killer was well handled and there was a genuine sense of menace about what potentially could or couldn't happen. But then when things that affected her as a child didn't then affect her 20 years later, mm. uh-huh. it was, well, hang on, but that that makes no sense whatsoever mm. with your logic of your film. And then from that point on, it lost me and I was watching it in like an outsider, just almost in effect, just waiting for it to finish. Mm. Yeah. Connor, how'd you find it? Well, just for consistency, <laughs> you sat through Tenet and thought that was okay. And then you give this a hard time. Just- <laughs> I really liked the super wide format of it. I don't know what it was. It was more, more much more than 16 by 9, I think. Technically, the camera work was really good. Mm. I just hate it when people move cameras, mostly because it can make, if, if you're a lighter, it makes your job a lot harder. But also, it's like, you know, you know, it looked much more like a kind of Sergio Leone kind of movie. And I'm, I'm not saying it was as good as that, but either locked off cameras or very slow moving cameras, the compositions were good. Like, I don't know a lot about actual on-set production, but it just seemed like it was quite high quality. Mm. Which I guess you'd kind of expect. I don't want to make generalizations here, but you probably expect from Korean movies. And I also really enjoyed the fact there was a hammer in it. Because uh, I remember it was sometime after watching Old Boy, there was another movie came out and had a, it had a battle with a hammer in it. And the reviewer wrote, What is it with Korean movies and hammers? So, I mean, it only featured smaller. There was lo- loads of plot holes. They could have finished a lot stronger, but the acting was good. It was, you know, they, they, I really like the fridges, by the way. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Grim. Buy another fridge. Yeah. <laughs> You've all said it. I think anything that deals with time travel is going to run into problems. So the film needs to create a sense of logic within itself. And this film just doesn't do it. I think if you look at something like Looper from 2012, that does a better thing with the, the causality and effect with what happens with the past person occurring with the future person. And that is equally as gruesome as this. But yeah, I think the cinematography, as you said, looks great. The design of the house itself was wonderful. And what was really good is that it could become a really horrible place or it can become a very loving environment. But yeah, it just, it was really messy. Where was the backstory for the stepmom? And why did she so adamant to sort of shamanize her? It's almost like it wanted to go off in, in a sort of spiritual 
the craft style sort of vibe in in that direction but it doesn't really do that it's a very mixed bag i will say this though her laugh when she turns into a, a serial killer her creepy laugh fuck me oh that was horrible like oh nails on a blackboard she was great she was so so good i wanted to like this so much and i just couldn't that was I, um, I, I had to laugh when uh, the girl is doing all the murdering she's on the phone and she's asking the girl in the future she's like uh how did they find me what was the clue and in the background is all this bloody water <laughs> spilling out <laughs> i've never murdered someone however getting rid of the body without leaving it everywhere is kind of like <laughs> great what's your second pick then paul okay so the second film was on amazon prime it was the rental the it was the rectory debut of actor Dave Franco, starring Dan Stevens and Alison Brie. Let me show you out back and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. <laughs> Farley! Tell me that's not a camera. Through the night, we leave first thing in the morning. What's going on? I, I don't know. Look, this is not okay, Charlie. All right, stop being so calm. Everything is fine. Two couples on an oceanside getaway get suspicious that the host of their seemingly perfectly rental house may be spying on them. But before long, what they think is a celebratory weekend turns into something a little more sinister. What do we think? Full disclosure and no surprise here. Both these films aren't really the sort of thing that I normally sit through. I don't like horrors as well documented on this pod. And both these films, I will say to their credit, gave me all the relevant jump scares, particularly this one. I felt it was effective in the way that it was done. As I said, I'm not an expert on the genre, but for me, I was there. I was scared. You know, I was willing them to sort of make out of the situation as intact as possible. But yeah, there's some really weird stuff in here. Christian Spenger, the cinematographer, and Dave Franco, they had a very odd approach. Some of the blocking in this film was really weird. There's a scene which is set on a hot tub and there's, there's so much steam that you couldn't actually make <laughs> out and they didn't turn the, the lights on in the actual hot tub, which is really weird. So it was just, it was ill-defined and, and very poorly lit. But I mean, maybe that's just because it was his first feature film. I mean, elsewhere, I thought things were fine. Dan Stevens, Brie, etc. They were all great. I think the dialogue did feel a bit forced in places. You know, the owner is set up to be this really uh, horrible, sinister, CCTV pervy type person. And I'm not sure I initially bought into that. But yeah, it's it's a horror film. So when people start to make stupid decisions, like they discover the CCTV stuff, if it was me, I would immediately be back in the car, halfway home, pack my bags, dialing 911, firing up Airbnb app to give them a one-star review. Do not stay here, underlined. But, you know, obviously it's a horror <laughs> film, so they need to make Make stupid decisions in order to propel that sense of disbelief broadly fine short running time breezy I, I thought it was you know perfectly fine i think for a feature debut film yeah it was all right i'm gonna tick the box for strongly disagree this was <laughs> so painfully slow and about as much as a paint by numbers horror as you can get it took a lifetime for anything of even slight interest to happen and even that wasn't very interesting Generic stroke screenplay, generic characters, generic bad guy who somehow creeps through the house unnoticed and unheard. Uh, it felt lazy, and we've spoken about being spoon-fed before. This opened our gobs and shoved it down our throats, which, needless to say, I'm pretty sure every person on the planet could have kept up with this movie crawling along. Spoiler alert, in terms of the obvious, it was fucking ridiculous that we're introduced to a character so deliberately creepy 
there wasn't even a chance in hell he was anything to do with anything. And in fact, <laughs> my wife said to me, as soon as he was on screen, I bet they kill him by accident. So you know what's coming. Okay, you can listen again now, no more spoilers. This movie's only saving grace is that it has a lot of promise. I like the idea of a killer just killing. No reason for it at all. But his MO seems solid at start, but it'd be so easy to catch. If anyone decides to watch this and spots the killer and wonders, where have I seen that guy from? He was, of course uncredited hobo in Mank. So there you go. All right. I was so bored as this was so generic, so predictable. We were just going through a very standard set of motions dragging us towards the credits. Even the opening credits annoyed me with the car journey, with this weird overlaid scenery rushing past the car. It felt like I was watching a GCSE year 10 multimedia project submission. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thought. Save us. <laughs> I don't know if you realise, but you didn't actually disagree with each other. You said exactly the same thing. <laughs> you said it was fun. And you said it was just for beige. That's basically the same thing. Bill Hicks once said, good art is a battle against mediocrity. So like, do something very bad or do something very good, but do something. Mm. And this movie, we have very little exposure to the production companies. We're just like nerds in a basement. We do our thing. But we get notes back from the clients and they tend to get made by committees these days. It's very few directors that actually get to make calls. This was... You know, it was so safe. It was one location, very cheap to shoot. I don't recognize any of the actors, so they probably didn't cost a lot. <laughs> if you're Amazon, this is a great movie to make because there's it's really cheap. It's safe because there's no real hardcore violence. There's no real sex, so to speak. Or if there is, then I've been doing it wrong. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't have cared less about it. It was uh-huh. basically, you could have filmed this in an Ikea. You probably wouldn't have noticed. And there actually is guys who do film in Ikea. Like they sneak in and make movies and then they get kicked out by security. But um, like you could have done that and saved whatever money you spent on the movie. But but it was a clever movie to make because anybody can watch that and they can flog it for years. Okay, I don't disagree with, with anything that's been said, really. I think Dave Franco did a solid job as an opening gambit on a very, as you said, a very safe project, a very by-the-numbers script. I won't say anymore. You had nothing to do with this. I'm already guilty. No, you aren't. You didn't do anything. I didn't call the police. If we get caught, I'm an accomplice to murder, just like you and Mina. We can say you weren't even here. Just go. Go do what you need to do so we can get out of here. This will be over soon, I promise. I think the telling point for me is that I thought the very final image before it cut to credits was the scariest moment in it yes. during the, the the cam stuff and he just walks into frame and it cuts away but it was a solid job it's certainly something I would look for for what he's going to do in the future in terms of directing obviously he had his wife in it Alison Brie so you've got you know this bit friends and family thing going on just to get the production made and that's fair enough but she's always watchable and Dan Stevens again always does a solid job with what was a bland script. I thought some of the cinematography was great. I think there were some bad choices and some really good choices in terms of lighting, framing, etc. and managing some of the performances. But it was alright. It wasn't great. As we said before, it's the worst review we can give anything. The worst review uh-huh. is... Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who gets 
any movie made or any short deserves a huge amount of credit because yeah. it's bloody hard. Mostly because you got to deal with people. People are hard work. <laughs> but in terms of it being average, I remember when, when I was younger, we used, we, if we went to see a band, and they were just really not great. If we were feeling like particularly nasty, it's, instead of applauding, we would shout, satisfactory performance might come back. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the worst thing you can do to a band, you know? Let's go again! He does not get it! Right, moving on then to our review spin-off question. Uh, this was inspired by the rental, which is predominantly set in one location. Could well be in Ikea. Now I know that that's a trick. What is your favourite feature film or TV episode using predominantly a single location? But I've only got a very short answer, so it's I'm fine. breaking away from film and I'm going to focus on a TV show. Yeah. One of my favourite TV shows, which is Community. Mm-hmm. And my favourite episode, or one of my favourite episodes of Community that feeds this question is a bottle episode that they know is a bottle episode and they talk about it being a bottle episode and I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's a bottle episode. Girls, don't get your panties puckered. We all know what we're really thinking. If, and I mean if, the culprit is among us, statistically speaking, it's Troy. Yes, we were all just thinking that in 1856. Is it me or has it become really obvious that Jeff took the pen? Yes. You want to make a bet, you jerks? Lockdown! I bet. Seal the doors. Nobody leaves until this pen shows up. I don't like this. Yeah, tell it to the pen you might have. Guinevere. Hi. Yeah, it's me. I can't make it. Well, tell your disappointment to suck it. I'm doing a bottle episode. When Arbed goes off in his little rant about it being a bottle episode and he points out all the little ways it is, it's great. So yeah, community, and I'm, I'm currently giving that a rewatch from the start because I love it. That episode is great. Very Always meta. Worth watch. Yeah, awesome. So my pick is from 2011. It's Attack the Block by Joe Cornish. So at its core, this film is a science fiction remake of Romero's Dawn of the Dead, substituting the shopping centre for a council tower block in South London. And instead of zombies, you have flesh-eating aliens. But the film also deals with racism, stereotypes, redemption. There is a lot going on. So like Die Hard and the Nakatomi Plaza, it shows you the location where the action will be set. Things are hinted at. It lays out the breadcrumbs that will later come to pass. The elevator's very slow. The corridor lights are on a timer. All these things come to play when the aliens finally attack. And like Die Hard, it sort of introduces the tower block as a character. It's lit up like a, a spaceship in the night sky. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so Attack the Block, Joe Cornish, awesome film. Funny you mentioned that. I think that was co-produced by Framestore. I think they made it while I worked there. Or they did some of the effects. Yeah, it looks amazing, considering it was only quite a small budget. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a small budget. The two I can think of is... 12 Angry Men and Rope. Yeah. And I had to Google it and I, like, and then I saw the list and I was like, oh, I've seen those. And I think, I think Rope comes from a stage play and I wouldn't be surprised if 12 Angry Men has its origins there as well. Yeah. What struck me with all those is that, especially the ones that take place in like one room or whatever, like 12 Angry Men or one courthouse and Rope is just one room, is they're really strong movies in terms of scripts and kind of acting and, and narrative. And they have to be because... Up until the rental, I would have said that you couldn't get away with a single location unless it was really strong. Yeah, so 12 Angry Men was directed by Sidney Lumet from 1957, yeah. so Henry Fonda, which is originally a stage play. It is, it's an exceptional script just flawlessly played by the entire cast in it and it's the sense of claustrophobia you get if people don't know it's a film 12 angry men it's about the jury who are out deliberating on a case that will see someone going to prison and possibly to the chair all those voting guilty please raise your hands 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, that's eleven guilty. Was oh, Bonnie not guilty? One. Eleven guilty, one not guilty. You really think he's innocent? I don't know. I mean, you sat in court with the rest of us. You heard what we did. The kid's a dangerous killer. You could see it. He's 18 years old. He stabbed his own father four inches into the chest. They proved it a dozen different ways in court. Would you like me to list them for you? No. Well, there were 11 votes for guilty. It's not easy to raise my hand and send a boy off to die without talking about it first. Just because I voted fast? I honestly think the guy's guilty. Couldn't change my mind if you talked for 100 years. It's not a film about establishing whether the person's guilty or not. It's dealing with the fact whether or not there's sufficient doubt to be able to throw the case out. Uh, and it's one person, sort of V11, a lot of the people just want to get out of the room. It's hot, it's sweaty, they just want this thing to be over so they can go home. So they're not really paying attention to to the details of the case. And this one person just sticks it out and just starts putting the case and trying to put, just say, well, no, look, but there is certain doubt. There is, we need to talk about this more. It's a perfect, perfect example of how to construct a claustrophobic one-room environment. And if you haven't seen it, it is fantastic. It's actually, it's got a nine out of 10 on IMDb. That alone, if you if you believe in that rating system on IMDb, it's worth checking out. And yeah, you can't go wrong. It's an exceptional piece of work. Nice. On to our second question. Inspired by the news that the board game Risk is being adapted into a film, what board or computer game adaptation would you like to see made for the big screen or probably for TV? So I've gone with a computer game for this. So Bioshock is a 2007 first-person shooter set in an Art Deco-themed underwater utopia named Rapture, built by 1940s Andrew Ryan, a Citizen Kane-style business magnate who believes creating a world under the sea will allow mankind to further itself scientifically without those pesky morals getting in the way. I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. Obviously, it all goes horribly wrong, and pretty much everyone dies in a really grotesque <laughs> way. They end up killing each other, and you play a character who's wandering around the abandoned submerged city shortly after this by yourself after it's all gone very tits up. This was actually nearly a film. Gore Bavinsky was attached to direct it. He's the guy who did the Pirates of the Caribbean films. It was set to start filming in 2009, just before Universal got cold feet because its 160 million budget was considered too big for a rated 15 or rated R in the States film, and Watchmen had just come out, Snyder's Watchmen. Watchmen had just come out and underperformed massively at the box office, so they walked away from the project. But it's a shame because it would be a, an amazing adaptation to have. I think that world is incredible. But yeah, there are no good computer game films currently. I mean, you could say maybe Mortal Kombat from the 90s kind of got close. Maybe Detective Pikachu from a couple years ago, but they're not exactly five-star bangers, are they? Nice. I don't play that many computer games anymore. Uh, just some, well, I say don't have the time. Probably do at the moment. But I've always liked an RPG game and was a big fan of the Final Fantasy series. And Final Fantasy VII is the seminal classic 
that was lauded as one of the games that, if you pardon the pun, a game changer. The story is to be about a character called Cloud, who joins an eco-terrorist organization, or certainly deemed so by the mega corporation that's killing the planet at the time. And uh, he's there in this disparate band of, uh, of individuals get together to try and bring down this corporation that's that's killing the planet and sort of just taking away its, its, its energy. This the storyline of this game is a movie on its own. It's just so well put together. It's actually a game that genuinely made me emotionally connect to the characters. Something that happens, certainly on the version that I played many years ago, at the end of the first disc or the second disc of the game, there was a huge moment in the game that actually made me cry. It was so well constructed, the way this game was put together. There's a big eco message, which is very relevant, which would certainly work in a movie now. The score could be used from the game in the movie. It's it's that good. The mm. score is, is so well put together. And it's, yeah, I think it would make a great film. Obviously, they, they did a fun Final Fantasy film many years ago which didn't link to any of the games I quite liked it though it was okay but just specifically Final Fantasy 7 is my choice cool. I'm actually working on two at the moment I don't think I can talk about them uh, sure you can, right. sure you can. Well, let's see what information is out about one of them so maybe it's Halo I think they're making a 10 episode series I had to google whether it was a series or a movie because I didn't know the other one I definitely can't talk about I worked at Jumanji uh, was that a that wasn't actually a board game to start with though was it no I think the game came after the first film tiny bit off topic but Cowboy Bebop was financed by a toy company so they could sell spaceships they said they could do anything as long as there were spaceships in it and when they finally got around to watching Cowboy Bebop they realised there was just these like heavy breasted women and like lots of violence and they were like what the act well, fuck have you done? And then they realized that it had become a runaway success. And then to compound matters further, the spaceships that were in it couldn't be manufactured as toys. It was just like whole kind of like, we're going to have a lot of angry people if we stop making it, but our brand should not be associated with this franchise. <laughs> Apart from that, when I was young, very young, I used to watch uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon. And I remember really liking it. And I remember the dragons been pretty scary and stuff, but I was very young, so can't rely on my opinion. Okay. Fair enough. You mentioned Jumanji. Based on the state of the world over the last eight months, uh, eighteen months, can whoever is still playing Jumanji finish your game, please? Done. <laughs> I mean, I've never really been into video games, and I guess Monopoly or chess would make pretty shit films. We've spoken about Korean horror, so the only thing I could really think about, and it's pretty dark, maybe a movie adaptation of the game Operation, where they had to remove somebody's organs without them realizing. I don't know. Maybe that's a horror genre we could tug <laughs> in your face. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> put put the put the game Operation in in. A, in the hands of the South Koreans and you know some sort of organ harvesting game but that's all I could really think of I like the fact that you chose a board game and we all went for computer games so a legit board game operation yeah I could see that working horrific I'm old school I don't know what to tell you is it water on the knee? Operation! Remove the pieces and collect your fee! But don't touch the side! I'm the doctor for you! Operation! And electronic handheld operation. Each sold separately, batteries not included. That does bring us almost to the end then. And the two films in review for our next episode picked by me. Well, almost picked by me. So my first pick is my wife's recommendation. And it's a film on Amazon called The Lie, released in 2018. And then my second recommendation was actually given to us by last week's guest and it's 2021 Netflix film The Dig so The Lie and The Dig are the two films we'll be watching and reviewing next week and that does bring us to the end apart from the question I need to pose to you and on a horror note I would like to know your answer to what or how did Alfred Hitchcock control screening of Psycho and why 
So he wanted to control public screenings of Psycho. What did he do and how did he do it? Or why did he do it? Interesting. That does bring us crashing to the end. Thanks very much, Connor, for joining us. Your insights into the industry have been very fascinating. Really great to listen to. Thank you so much. Breen, I'm not going to thank you for your picks. They were shit. And uh, (laughs) Ben, good to see you as always. Everyone listening, stay safe and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Connor. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening as always. Please be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. Please make sure you look out for us on all the socials. So facebook.com forward slash seen this pod on Twitter at seen this underscore pod and on Instagram at seen this pod. Yeah, fantastic. Really good to have you on, Connor. Cheers, man. Really appreciate it. Really good to hear all those sort of insights. And for everyone else, thanks for listening. I would definitely invest in your stock heavily. Just for listening to this point. See you on the next episode. You have been listening to Have You Seen This with Paul Breen, Ben Hammond and myself, Ben Mercer. The main theme is the Godzilla theme tune, remixed by myself with beats supplied by Lander. Please like and subscribe if you've enjoyed the pod and please check us out on Facebook and Instagram forward slash seen this pod, seen spelled S-C-E-N-E. All views and opinions are those of their host. Before we carry on, Breen, can I ask you a question? Yep. How exactly are these two films more upbeat and less bleak than Pieces of a Woman? I didn't want to slip my wrists after these ones. It's a horror film, so by its nature, Listen, it's going to end in grisly murders. Generally speaking, any film that I watch that starts with, this was picked by Paul Breen, I shouldn't. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... No, I, I'm, no I'm, Paul, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not. I, I, I think your picks have been quite good. Defend all the choices I make. If you oh, go back and look oh, through all Breen, the films I'm, that I'm I have I'm supporting picked, you here, mate. We don't have time. <laughs> Should I tell you what I think about this film? I think you need to let this go, Hammond. Oh, anyway. Guys, <laughs> 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 <